0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: to a must win edition of Cast Talk Wednesday. Vinnie Hardy outside of Knoxville, Terry T V Brown, up in the Ville, Louisville, Kentucky, coming to you for another fun, exciting show. Summertime is finally trying to be here. How's everything on your NTV?
2: I'm doing fantastic. Uh the spring is upon us, so my allergies have been kicking my butt, but other than that, it's uh it's going pretty good. The the girls are getting toward the end of the school year, so, you know, it's about that time. Summer is here just about. It is. It is. It was the
1: last day of school for the kids here. Uh, my oldest just completed the third grade, so he's all done. I'm uh, going to have two like you next year in school, because my youngest will be in kindergarten, so I'll, I'll be doing both kids in school, like you've been doing for a little minute yourself. So uh, we'll have field days on different days and banquets on different times, and we're in same school but different levels. You know, a big kid trying to be a big kid in school, and little man just starting out. So I get to join that club next year, actually in August, because they start school too early each and every year, and they keep creeping it up a couple days to where they're just trying to sneak that year-round thing on you, the, the summer isn't like it used to be?
2: Oh, it's absolutely not. But but we're heading into that, so it, it's going really, really well. I cannot complain. Uh, we're going to be heading to seventh and fourth grade uh, next year, so we're getting wow. ready for that.
1: Wow. That is something else, boy. Yep, you know, time does not stop. And since we're on the 845-277, uh, 9373 is, of course, the number to call at Cats Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. And since we are already starting off talking about kids and how kids don't stay little for long, we might as well start off talking about our dear friend, Tina Cox, who just became a grandmother for the first time. Now, you and I don't know anything about being grandparents. We know. We've seen the feelings grandparents have, and how they can't really describe the difference that being a grandparent is compared to being a parent. You got demoted personally by your own mother when she became a grandparent. <laughs> I've had this conversation Absolutely. with had this conversation with my mother, and she's she can't really explain it. Michael Tillery, new grandfather, came on a few weeks ago. He can't explain it either. One day we may be. Trying to explain it ourselves, but Carolyn Renee Cox, granddaughter of Tina and Rusty Cox, daughter of Tina's son, Charlie Cox, and his wife, Chelsea, is just born. We're seeing pictures, and Tina's, you know, we've been knowing she's going to be born in May for quite some time, and she is finally here, and everybody's healthy. So congratulations to Tina and everyone in her family
2: for the new addition. Absolutely. Uh, from what I can tell everything is going real well for mom and baby, so I know they are over the moon at the uh, at the new edition. So that's that's fantastic news for for everybody.
1: Absolutely.
2: And you know,
1: we love Tina to death. Without her, you know, you and I don't get to have credentials to cover all the games we get to go to and run on the road tournament games, bowl games, all the cool stuff we've got to do. Tina plays a key role with the Carol Mills radio staff, and you know, we are super proud and excited and, and like we said, love her to death, and I'm glad Little Miss got here second sound.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Speaking of UK stuff, it's not a whole lot. It is, you know, summer is coming. We still got baseball and softball that we'll get to. Everybody now is kind of looking to the combine maybe to see if that gives clarification as to what the basketball guys will or won't do, what will P.J. Washington do, will he still, uh, no matter what news he gets or how he plays, still with to stay in the draft, no, even if it's not maybe as high as he'd like to be. we'll will find out soon enough. Uh, the biggest news, I guess, of note was with Jared Vanderbilt revealing that he's not going to participate uh, in the combine, which we know he uh, had battle injuries in his freshman season at Kentucky and looks like he's not where he would like to be if he's going to go and kind of showcase skills for all the NBA teams that are uh, checking out the incoming talent
2: or prospective incoming talent. Yeah, that the the thing is when you look at all these people going into the draft, there's only so many slots. And I, and I think that is when you look at the NBA and, and, and the NCAA as well, when they want to make changes and get rid of one and done and, and what have you, the NBA can't absorb all the guys that want to be one and done and leave early. It's just not set up to do that. So You have to really weigh your options. And for most people, coming to college for at least one year, a little bit longer, seems to be the best avenue uh, to go. Uh, With Vanderbilt, he's in a unique situation. What we saw last year, once he started playing, was he was a pretty good rebounder. You look at his rebounding percentage, true rebounding percentage, I think is what they call it. Uh, and He's number one in the country by far. I don't know how they calculate that metric, but he's, you know, number one. Then he gets hurt again. So I think it's a lot, even if he showcases his talent, there's some concern with his health. And I just don't know if you're going to get an NBA team, even if he gets a clean bill of health, I don't think you'll get an NBA team that will, you know, even even a non guaranteed contract, I just don't see, um, I just don't see the NBA team doing that. Uh, unless you're uh, Joel Embiid, unless you're just a supremely old, uh, just overwhelming talent. Injuries play an issue. Uh, I mean that's just the way it goes. So I think he's going to have to show, and, and you hate to say he's going to have to show his ability to not get hurt, but. He's got to show that he can stay healthy, and that's just the that's the name of the game.
0: Yeah, and that's that's
2: where I
1: am. No matter what he does, just just show some sustained health. Whether you come back to Kentucky, you know, whether you opt to go the G League route, whether you opt to go whatever you decide to do, just show that you can be durable enough to make it through the season because, you know, these things have kind of been persistent. It was a trouble for him in high school. We saw it at Kentucky, and you just don't want to see the same thing recurring just for his sake, regardless of what he does. You know, people will selfishly want him to come to the U.K. His family may want him to go ahead and go – Seek professional opportunities, whether he's ready or not. Wherever he's trying to play, just have some sustained health. That's all. You just, I just hold my breath for that.
2: Yeah, and, and the thing is uh, about Vanderbilt. Like I said, his his rebounding. I mean, he had that Rodman-like ability to get to the ball. And one thing I noticed, I believe it was the Missouri game, and it's not so much he, he's getting his double double. You know, he's getting double-digit rebounds. He's creating rebounding opportunities for his teammates. And you can see that when Vanderbilt played, our rebounding went up. Remember, there was a stretch where Kentucky was getting out-rebounded. Despite having a size advantage in every position, Kentucky was getting out-rebounded against teams you wouldn't think they should have been out-rebounded against. So uh, he, he, he changed the game. And when he came into the lineup, in the middle of the season, in the middle of that stretch where they were playing poorly, let's be honest, uh, he stepped into a really difficult situation. So I give the kid props. He could have sat out all year. You know, he could have, have not come back at all. So I give him credit for that. But as you said, moving forward, he's got to have some help before he's able to take that next step whether it's at UK, whether it's the G League, whether it's international, to wish him some sustained health and success. And selfishly, uh, just from what I can tell, and I'm no, you know, Fran or whoever, I, I think his best bet is to come back to UK and be healthy. Rebound at the same clip that he was rebounding at last year, show some finish uh, around the basket, And I think his draft stock goes up. I don't think he gets that in the G League. I don't think he gets that, you know, internationally. Uh, Because I I think it was Rex Chapman, or I can't remember who I follow. You know, when you go international, we we see that as kind of being a minor league. But that's not the case at all. Those teams in, in, in Europe and in China or wherever you go are trying to win. They're not in the business of developing players. Uh, the same way with a little bit with the G League. It's it's not a league where you can actually go get better, work on your game. You're not getting the same instruction you would get, you know, at at Kentucky, at Duke, at Kansas, wherever. So, and again, I don't want to tell anybody what to do. I'm just kind of the way I see it. I think his best bet would be to come back. But whatever he does, I just wish him sustained, you know, health and success. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know,
1: everybody still waits and tries to anticipate and predict what's going to happen. Uh, And it always, this little period always seems to take a long time between the end of the season and the draft and then all the decisions that are made before, whether you're going to stay in the draft or not. But it is all going to play itself out. We'll all know. Uh, sooner than it seems it's all going to happen um, as to what these guys all decide to do. Uh, one last thing, well, one little thing of note. We talked about it the other day. Uh, E.J. Montgomery already committed, but they officially were able to uh, acknowledge that the other day and put out a statement in a press release uh, and all of that from UK. So, you you know, kind of dotting the I's and crossing the T's on Montgomery's commitment. Uh, And then the domino effect, if you will, was that same day, Sasha Jones uh, asked for his release and announced that he was going to transfer, and he has landed at a spot. He's found a place to go, and it's going to be NC State. Uh, He's from North Carolina, was looking in the ACC direction uh, ever since leaving Lexington and will now be in Raleigh. Uh, to sit out next year
2: and then be eligible after that. And and I'm happy for him. He's going to have an opportunity. And uh, I think, as we were talking about Vanderbilt, he's making the decision that's going to be best for him, and you really can't get upset at that. Uh, The same way Charles Matthews, it it didn't work out the way he wanted to in Lexington, and, and he was able to get to the title game with Michigan. One thing I will say is the difference between Cal and some other coaches is Cal, you know, he outwardly, uh, through his social media, through comments, he's rooting for those kids. A lot of coaches, a kid transfers out, and they are just persona non grata. But Cal, you know, mentioning Marcus Lee, giving props to – Charles Matthews, he does that when you don't see a lot of other big-time coaches do that. So uh, I think that's, that's pretty cool uh, for, him, for him to do. Uh, but for Sasha Clay Jones, yeah. sometimes it doesn't work. And I think we try to read more into it than uh, into these situations than it should. But sometimes it just it doesn't work. Sometimes you have transfers. Sometimes it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. And we will always want to find blame with, you know, was he being recruited over? Was he not that good? And was Cal, you know, was his leash a little too short or what have you? So uh, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And sometimes you just need to, to get a change of scenery and, and, and move on. Yeah, yeah. And
1: so uh, definitely hope that uh, it all goes well for him over in Raleigh with with NC State going forward, for sure. Uh, we got the flashback of the 90s, if you will. We have referenced it before. I wrote about it with Toronto playing Cleveland again. Kentucky-Utah was a yearly event in the 90s. And now, for the next couple of years, we'll see Wildcats and Utes again. Uh, with Kentucky playing Utah in the arena and then playing them... Uh, Near
2: Salt Lake City in Las Vegas. Well, I can for one tell you that there's a when you get to <laughs> Salt Lake City, there's definitely a sign that says Vegas data way, and it's not too far. <coughs> so, from personal experience,
0: <laughs>
2: uh, Sean Smith and I can tell you, yeah, you saw that sign because uh, when we went to Boise and we were going through the snow, we had just gotten out of the snow in Salt Lake City and. We had a decision. Do we keep on the boys here? Do we just go to Vegas?
3: You know, what's
2: what's wrong with going to Vegas? But uh but this is this is a this is a it's a good matchup for both schools. Uh it's going to you're gonna see because uh, Utah is on the way back out there in the in the WAC I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um uh, but they are uh a program trying to get – and, and this is one of those things we've talked about when it comes to scheduling. Uh, Cal schedule games that are going to be tough for the kids. And this is not a give-me game. I don't care how you kind of write it up. It's not a give-me game. Um, as you said, it kind of flashes back to our college days when during the 90s, I think is, is it's four or five times we in the tournament at least – at different stages, and it just seemed like every year we were meeting, uh, meeting Utah. Uh, so I think it's it's a win-win for both programs. It's scheduling that you don't see as much on the college football side, but I think this is a a, a great uh, it's a great matchup, and it's a, like I said, it's a win-win for both teams. Uh, a quality win, or you know, even still a quality loss, uh, you know, depending. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. It is weird because if you look at Utah and I think it's Marquette uh, are the are the programs that we have met on you know multiple occasions, but the majority of them being in the tournament. Uh, Marquette, Utah, I think uh, at least four or five times each in the NCAA tournament, but not much outside of the tournament. So I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about that. And, uh, it was an excuse to to pop in the out of the blue DVD from from Cameron Mills <laughs> and just you know, relive that. you know. And I've forgotten that when Andrew Bogut was at Utah, he had played them uh, in the tournament that year because that was when ramel Bradley kind of went toe to toe with Bogut. <laughs> if you remember yeah. that uh, that dust up. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is taking it back to the nineties. I mean, we. I mean, I think outside of the actual. Final Four, national semifinal. I think we met them just about in every uh, every other step of the tournament. So it's exciting. Um, you know, shout out to Rick Majerus, who is the you know the longtime Utah coach. Uh, but the youths are on the comeback, so I'm I'm excited about that. I really am.
1: Absolutely, and it was it was five times in the '90s. Uh, like 1 to 93, and then that cluster, 96 to 99, uh, and then one other time in 2003. But you know, as great as the late great Rick Majerus was, over 500 wins, uh, 25, 26 year career, I think 0 and 6 against Kentucky, and he was like 5, 5, 20 something and two something, almost 300 games, over 500. For his career, but six of those losses were courtesy of Kentucky in every shape, form, every stage of the tournament, pretty much. Uh, and then I think in '99, if I remember right, on history.net, that was just like some preseason game in November. It's just like, yeah, what the heck? Let's, let's, you know, they play every year in the tournament. Let's just throw in this preseason matchup, and Kentucky won that too. So it, it didn't matter when, end of the season beginning of the season, in the tournament, out of the tournament, Kentucky has had your number.
2: If I remember correctly, it's not as if the game, I know there's a national championship game, but it's not like they were close. I mean, a lot of them, it's not like they came down to the wire, uh, because if you watch that 98 game, again, that's the the largest halftime deficit ever overcome an NCAA tournament game of 10 points which doesn't seem like a lot, but it is still the, uh, the biggest deficit. And if you watch that second half, I mean, I, I don't – let me rephrase this. I don't really remember watching it live. Uh, I was a college student. I was uh, of age at the time. So I really didn't remember the details of the game. But on rewatching it, there, there's not that like, oh, my goodness, we're going to – we might lose this once we got into the second half. So uh, if I, if memory serves, not a lot of those games were you know down to the wire either. Um, but it's it's good. It's good. It takes me back to to my college time and 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 beating Rich uh, McCherish in Utah.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, and and like you said, the the second half with them going to the locker room down ten. They outscored by nineteen in the second half because the final was like seventy eight sixty nine, so a nineteen point swing, and that gives you the closest <laughs> score of all. Oh, so you only beat them by nine? Well, we spotted them ten at the half, and then just you know, raced by them in the second half. And you
2: know, and, and I yeah, and I'm glad we we're kind of talking about that because if you look. At a lot of our championship games, the ones that I remember, they they weren't big blowouts, but they weren't necessarily games I thought we were going to lose, if that makes sense. You know, 96, you know, that team I thought would blow out Syracuse. We really didn't, but then it didn't feel like we were ever going to really lose it. Uh,
0: 2012,
2: uh, we probably should have boat raced Kansas, but uh, it it wasn't. Well, because since we're all on this subject, my one complaint on Cal, my one complaint <laughs> is in big games, it kind of slows things down. And I know a lot of coaches do that, but I think as frenetically as we play, and uh, I don't think we have a lot of set plays. I mean, I'm not an X's and O's guy, but we kind of just mm-hmm. go with it. Uh, He's got – especially when he's got a point guard he can trust. And Teague, by that point, was the point guard he could trust in 2012 and other games as well. It's like Cal takes the point guard out of it. If you look at the 2015 uh, Wisconsin game, I mean, there was, what, three straight shot clock violations, and Cal's out there, you know, telling Andrew to hold on to the ball. And we just look discombobulated. Right. The mm-hmm. one complaint I would have, and I'm no, you know, basketball Benny, as they say, but let the, let the kids play. You know, Let them yeah. keep doing what they have been doing. That would be my one knock on, on the Cal uh, era is I think the 2012 championship game would have been wider. <laughs> it would have been a wider margin because we were, I mean, it was, you know, flirting close to 20 for a big chunk of the game until we slowed it down. Yeah. Just, uh, just jump jumped on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that uh, we we win against Wisconsin. Uh, you know, and again, I'm, I don't want to nitpick and, you know, get on this bash and cow kind of thing. Um, but there are just games that were closer that probably shouldn't have been that close. Um, you know, in his defense, in his defense, most coaches do that. The big turn yeah. games, most coaches, uh, you know, draw out the possession. They slow the game down uh, and kind of get away from that. Uh, look at the '96 game, like I just talked about. The '96 team, they—I mean—they were blowing everybody out, everybody out. Yeah. And and and, and mm-hmm. Patino starts. I don't want to say overcoaching. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying, you just kinda you slow it down, you, you 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 analyze every possession and you really take your team out of out of their rhythm a little bit. So that's my one yeah. knock if I had to point to one thing that kinda aggravates me against Cal, uh, is sometimes you kinda shorten that game a little bit, which I think throws off the rhythm of the team.
1: Yeah. So they they I don't know if it's instinctively or whether they even realize it or not, that just tendency to get away from, they stopped dancing with what brought them. <laughs> and, and, you know, and then next thing you know, oh, this game has got a little bit closer than we thought. And and now, you know, and then the commentators, well, and, you know, they're chipping away and now it's getting interesting, Jim. And, you oh, know, it is. And, and then, you know, they hang on and, and finish it out. But, yeah makes it a little more suspenseful when sometimes it doesn't always have to be that way. So, uh, you know, it was still good outcomes. 2012 was good. Um, Teague, you talk about trusting the process. Everybody had to do that that year, and it paid off. Uh, he was able to uh, handle the responsibilities of running the point as the season progressed. And he, you talk about peaking at the right time as a team, he did individually, uh, and that was good to see as well. And you mentioned Rick Pitino. We'll talk about him later because for some reason he's <laughs> in the news again today. <laughs> and I normally don't pay attention to all that, but, I, I mean, I even I even had to respond today. I mean, come on, man. So let's talk about that. Uh, UK Baseball and Softball, we got to talk about some of that as well. NBA playoffs, must win for my Rockets. We'll talk about that. uh. You got soapboxes, we'll talk about that as well Lots of different types of topics to get to as we roll on with Cats Talk Wednesday Appreciate everybody jumping in on Facebook Live I got the link to the full show right there pinned at the top So you just won't hear me, you'll hear Terry as well Feel free to call 845-277-9373 At Cats Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter Let's take a quick break right now, but we'll be right back Cat Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Oh, I Wednesday, Benny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, BlogTalkRadio.com. Give us a call, 845-277-9373. Call in if you want to, tweet in if you want to, hit the Facebook page, Twitter page at Cats Talk Wed, Cats Talk Wednesday, and we'll see any and everything y'all send our way. Um, a couple of little random things. I got all kind of little random stuff. Um, when it came to all those games on the phone, what was it, Trivia Crack, Words with Friends? We used to play both of those, right? And you I believe so. would yeah. always win Trivia yeah. Crack. You <laughs> would always win Trivia Crack. And <laughs> most of the time I win Words with Friends. Um, the newest one now, are you big on this HQ trivia that everybody's been, you know, with? you being a trivia guy, you probably win every day if you play it.
3: 12 I, I questions, 10 seconds
1: to answer each one.
2: Yeah, I I've had people uh you know, kinda since I think you did as well. I've not sat down and kinda uh looked at it, but uh you know, trivia and, and knowing useless trivia has always been my thing, so uh I I may have to dive into that at some point.
1: and and the trivia crack thing it was, you know, six categories history, pop, sports, science, whatever and, you know, you answer a series of questions to kind of check off a category, I would have you five to one, five to two, and you come back and win six to five. It never failed. <laughs> I could not knock you out in tribute crack, right? You know, I got I, I, I get you down, but I could never step on your neck. You was always rallying. <laughs> usually you didn't even have to rally. You usually won going away, but when I would Think I'd have a win in hand, you'd smash it away. <laughs> my, well,
2: my ex wife just she stopped playing with me altogether. We were doing that. She thought I was cheating. I was like, You can't cheat you know, this game. I just, I know tons of useless information. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. It's like my cousin in Words with Friends. I mean, every time he sends a move back, it's never under 25, 30, 35 points. Like, can't you play a seven-point word like all the rest of us? How do you always find a massive amount of words? How do you score like that every time? But, uh, I mean, it just works that way for some people. And speaking of the tribute, too, I found another one I don't know if I sent it to you. This HQ Sport I'm sorry, hype sports is like the HQ trivia except it's all sports. You get twelve sports questions, you know, ten seconds to answer, multiple choice questions. You get through twelve, you split, you and however many winners split whatever the pot is that day. But uh that one is fun. It is all sports. It starts out easier. It gets progressively harder. Last night it was just strictly basketball questions, like they do one at two thirty in the afternoon, one at seven, one at ten. For the seven o'clock and ten o'clock, Alex Porter's was kind of featured as part of it. With the hey, we got Alex Porter's here taking it with us, so that was cool to see. You know, Alex kind of gets partnering up with them and and promoting it a little bit. So I thought that was pretty neat. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, if you decide, I think I think it'd be right up your alley. Both of them are fun, uh, and I've won. A, I've ran the table a few times in the sports one. Still haven't an HQ yet. That was, you know, questions eight, nine through twelve. That gets a little rough. <laughs> they don't play around in that one, you know, especially when you're not a queer savant like, one K Brown is.
0: So,
1: you know. <laughs> but I just didn't have a deal. lot of friends growing up. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, oh, I, man. But our,
2: yeah, book, books and the like. So. They,
1: well, they are two fun little things, and it doesn't take much time. And, you know, you ripping and running throughout the day. You take a few minutes and do that. It's fun. And then you can get back to doing whatever you have to do or whatever pressing thing is staring you in the face for the rest of your day. So it's a couple of fun little things they come out with. Um and we just gave them some pull-up here on Cast Talk Wednesday. So that's our good D for the day. <laughs> we got uh, we talked about UK softball last week with the tournament and selection and all that. The ladies do get to host at John Crop Stadium uh, this coming weekend. Um, and I had it pulled up. I know Michigan is one of the teams coming I uh, need to pull up and see all the other three teams that will be there. But they do get the host, which was a good to see, uh, that that John Croft Stadium will have some more games coming up. Uh, the home season was not quite finished just yet for UK softball and Coach Lawson.
2: Well, uh, and Corey Price, 08, who is – you talk about trivia. He's got all of the Kentucky trivia that you would want, not just basketball, yeah. but a little of everything. But he pointed out that uh, when it comes to SEC softball, all 13 qualifying teams made it to the softball tournament. Nine are national seeds by Kentucky and hosting games. So when we say, and when uh, I, I know that there's some folks here in my hometown that get tired of hearing it, but when we say competing in the SEC puts you on a different level nationally, that's what we mean. It, it, You know, it it just means more, but but the teams are pretty good that that we produce. So if you're competing in the SEC, you are most likely uh, competing on the national level uh, because if you look at baseball, you look at softball, their records are not stellar. And I think uh, Coach Mingeo, Coach Lawson would tell you, they would definitely love to have a few more uh, W's on the ledger. But – because the schedule is so tough, uh, both in and out of conference, that's how they get that's how they get the nod when it comes to to national rankings and, and things of that nature.
1: Absolutely,
2: um,
1: Kentucky, Michigan, Notre Dame, and University of Illinois, Chicago will be the four teams uh, participating in the Lexington Regional at John Croft Stadium the new beautiful softball facility uh, for the softball team. So uh, congratulations there. The the baseball team took care of Murray State last night in Paducah. Um, Took two out of three to close out the cliff from Mississippi State. Kind of had a rough one on Sunday in the finale, uh, the final regular season home game but they did what they had to do to win the series. Uh, Took game one, rallied, come from behind to win that one. And game two had been a bugaboo, had been kryptonite all season long, and they won game two. So that means they've won now back-to-back game twos. You know, two Saturday games in a row. Couldn't have picked a better time to start doing that. Uh, Zach Thompson... It's the game two pitcher, him coming back, and then you suddenly start winning game twos. I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, they have been trying to kind of figure out a guy for that spot when you got Jelly on Friday, Lewis on Sunday, but the game two spot had just been, you know, kind of like the old bar soap. When you try to squeeze the bar soap back in the day and it just slipped out of your hands, that's the way it was. So now <laughs> they've been able to win back-to-back game twos, uh, which is good to see, get the final series of the SEC season at Vanderbilt Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then the season is over, which, I mean, it's flown by. 27 conference games up, 27 conference games down, final three games against Vanderbilt, uh, who isn't the same powerhouse Vanderbilt, Uh, They're still kind of – they're struggling on the bubble record-wise right there in the same area code as U.K. in the conference. Uh, But if Kentucky can go in there uh, and finish out strong on the road, they still have a chance to bring back baseball games to the cliff as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and like I said, the record is is probably not what we kind of thought at the beginning of the year. But they have Mm -hmm. played really, really well – and as you said, kind of peeking at the right time, they're, they're answering a lot of lingering questions that they've had. So uh, Coach Nick has got to feel confident heading down to Nashville to, as crazy as it sounds, uh, recent national champion, <laughs> recent national champion winner Vander, uh, Vanderbilt. Because uh, I think now every SEC school has won a national championship in something. I think Vanderbilt was the long time long holdout, but I think that everybody has got something. Maybe the Mississippi schools don't. I don't know about Ole Miss, mm-hmm. but I know Mississippi State has won uh-huh. baseball. But uh, right. you know that that's that's pretty remarkable from, um, you know, from a conference standpoint. Uh, so, but you have, you have to like how the the cats are kind of rounding into it. Uh, we see this when we. You know, we're talking about Coach Cal and, you know, peaking at the right time, getting ready uh, for the tournament. Uh, and I think both squads are ready to do that as we look for the postseason.
1: Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned Corey Price. He's the one that I saw tweet out a link to that hype sports trivia game that I was just talking about and playing. He tweeted out a link to it, and that's how I started playing. So... uh Of course, him being all up on trivia, he would definitely know about it, and that's how I found out about it and started playing. So, uh, shout out to Corey Price, and he's always full of knowledge. I want to talk about this, uh, the rumblings, is it smoke? Is is there where there's smoke? Is there fire? Where? And, I mean, you can't blame them, but, you know, Coach Mignone, was, of course, an assistant uh, for John Cohen, who, of course, was at Kentucky but left to go to Mississippi State because that's where he played. Coach Jones was an assistant under him before moving back to Lexington, where he used to be an assistant, and taking the head coaching job, given his first opportunity as a head coach from Mitch Barnhart. Mississippi State had a coaching place, but he had to uh, be relieved of his duties for some off-the-field stuff. And former Kentucky coach Gary Henderson, who was the UK right before Coach Minshew came aboard, is uh, guiding Mississippi State through this season. But the rumors, the scuttlebutt that they might make a run at Coach Minshew, uh, and of course, you know they got tradition, and you know they got the whole left field lounge that's been on the SEC story, and. Will Clark and Rafael Palmeiro and all that, the Thunder and Lightning and all of that. Will they make a run? It comes from Will he be tempted to go back there? He's got ties there, just like he had ties here. Kentucky's getting a new stadium. Kentucky's trying to build a long-standing, consistent baseball tradition. Mississippi State already has it. They got great facilities and all that, too. We'll all know how it will play out, when it plays out, but do you think they'll make a serious run at him and will Kentucky have a hard time hanging on? to him?
2: Well, it's funny that you bring that up because Dan McDonald, the head coach at UofL, uh there was an article in today's Courier Journal about his name has come up attached to the Mississippi State job. There's interest in him. And, and, and you know, at UofL they have been to uh, four – uh, three or four, I, I think it's four, uh, College World Series. They've had Brendan McKay, you know, the player of the year. Uh, so uh, when you look at resumes, you have to say that McDonald's got the better resume than, than, than Coach Nick does at this point. Uh, you know, even though he's been the head man longer, and I get that. So if you're a baseball fan of either the Cats or the Cards, you got to be a little bit nervous. Because, as you said, Mississippi State has a history, um, and I think if you're a baseball man, when Mississippi State comes uh, calling, I think you have to at least listen. Now, I can't tell you what anybody besides uh, Terry Brown is going to do, and I don't even know what I would do you know, down the road, so I can't read into it. But when you look at the investment that UofL has made in baseball since McDonald has been there, when you look at the impending investment uh, that uh, Mitch Barnhart has made into baseball, if either one of those coaches go, if if Mingeone goes, if McDonald goes from UofL, it's not going to be because of facilities. It's not going to be because he didn't feel that, the uh, athletic administration was uh was supportive. That's not going to be the reason, which I think is is different than maybe ten or fifteen years ago. You know, when you look at the the you know how the situation was back when Keith Madison was the coach, and again you know how he reminded us you know he only had a part time assistant. Uh, that that has been totally removed from the equation. It's, it's not a matter of the university showing support. It's just going to be, you know, the decision is going to come down to however that individual feels. I know that was a roundabout way of saying I don't know, but I can say that I don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, we didn't have the right kind of facilities or, you know, the the, the school wasn't showing support. I think uh both coaches will tell you right off the bat that they're getting uh what they need from the university at this point. So uh it's going to be it's going to be unreal when the season ends in baseball. Uh Mississippi State, I know it's odd to think of Mississippi State being a national powerhouse, but when it comes to college baseball, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely, and I think yeah. when they come calling, you have to you have to answer that bell, I think uh the same way with the Kentucky job opening in in basketball I think you absolutely have to take that phone call
0: Yeah and Kentucky
1: baseball is still in the same boat as Kentucky football you you're trying to build and get there and 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 get up to that level where the perennial powers are uh and so You know, you got other schools, name schools like that, like a Mississippi State, like a you know an LSU, long-standing tradition in the SEC and other sports besides football. When other schools want your coach, that's a good thing. That means you know Kentucky's coach, its respected position, is doing a good job. But of course, you and I and everyone else who. Choose Kentucky-owned in all sports, would hope Kentucky can get past the point of just being kind of that stepping stone to a big dog school. You you want where coaches want to do like Keith Madison. And, of course, Keith Madison from Kentucky, Edmonton, got Kentucky ties. He didn't want to go anywhere. He had opportunities, like he told us when he was on the show, to take other jobs with better facilities, with Stuff that would have made his job easier, and he turned it down. Yeah, Coach Minshew isn't from Kentucky, so you, if you get a coach like him, you just want to get Kentucky to a point where coaches like Coach Nick can say, "Well, I'm cool where I'm at," even if you get a tempting offer from a place with more tradition and things like that. So hopefully, Kentucky baseball can get on up to that point where you got coaches that want to stay here because I got just as much of what I need here as I do going anywhere else. So hopefully that's where, uh, and with Mitch Barnhart's vision and plans, that's where Kentucky will eventually be in baseball.
2: And and we have seen that. We have seen coaches turn down other opportunities. Obviously, Coach Cal, the NBA has made overtures uh, to him. Uh, Coach Florio, if you remember, if long-term listeners kind of remember, we had – him on talking about track and field and he had the opportunity and I can't remember the, the name school. Uh, but when it came to track, uh, he made his commitment to Kentucky. So, uh, and and again, I don't want to paint coach Nick into a corner, but yeah, if, if he gets a serious offer from Mississippi state and he says, thank you, but no, thank you. That is a huge step in the right direction for the program. And, and that's yeah. going to be something I think we can look back and we can say, you know, that's when it, that's when it turned, you know, turned around. Uh, that's that's when you can say, okay, this we've gone from program building to now we've got program momentum. Now we're moving yeah. in a different direction. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and, and honestly, and, and, and to flip that around, I know we kind of beat this. It's basically uh, if folks remember. Uh, it's kind of crazy now because, you know, he eventually did leave. But when Billy Diamond had the opportunity to come to Kentucky and he politely yeah. said thank you but no thank you, I'm staying here at Florida, mm-hmm. that was a sign for them oh. that even though they had, you know, the national titles, uh with the, the, the NOAA group and Al Horford and, and all that, uh, you know, the thank you but no thank you, it hurt our feelings. But as a Florida fan, you had to say, whoa, wait a minute. You know that's that's a pretty that's a pretty big mark or step in the right direction uh when a big program comes and and, and you know your your guy can, can say no so uh, again, I don't want to project on coach Nick he's got to do what's best for him and his family. I certainly understand and respect that a hundred percent uh but I just think that you know depending on how all this shakes out, you know very well next year uh coach Nick could be still at Lexington, Coach Dad could still be at Louisville and Mississippi State going <laughs> a completely different direction. Uh but if that's the case and like I said if both coaches have been approached, I think that you'll say, okay, baseball the Commonwealth is at a different level now. Uh, absolutely and, and, and we're headed in the right direction. Absolutely. So yeah that's a
1: that's a good analogy. We feel right now kind of the way Florida was feeling 06, 07, 08, when when Kentucky was making runs uh, at Billy. And no doubt they were holding their breath to see if he would stay. we feel the exact same way now. You got a little nervous tension with the thought of Mississippi State coming hard and, and, you know, maybe trying to put that full court
2: court press on Coach Nick. So that's a a perfect point. Yeah, and and like I said, he he knows Mississippi State. Uh, he's a he's you know he's a baseball guy. He knows, and and yeah. you know, depending on how serious the offer is, and and and, uh, and you just don't know how these things work out. Uh, but if it turns out, like I said, they've made a run at, at both coaches, and both coaches have you know thank you, but no. That's huge. That's huge because when you and I were in school and. and this is no no slight to, to to Coach Madison, but but Kentucky baseball, Louisville baseball, it, you know, you didn't think anything thinking it at all, and and now yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got the Mississippi State of the world saying, "Hey, we like what you're doing, you know, developing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, developing coaches or however you want to to phrase it. We kind of like that, if you will. Um, so for 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 my money, that's a that's a good sign. And it goes back to I can't speak to U of L, but it goes back to what Coach Bar- or Coach Barnhart, Mitch Barnhart, has been saying, is is totally revamping uh, and, and upgrading the total athletic department. And you can see that as our rankings in the Directors Cup have gone up, we are competitive in a lot of different sports. You know. Um, at the Catsbees, you're looking at the Team of the Year Award, and it did go to the National Championship Rifle Team, but it could have just as easily have gone to the gymnastics squad for making you know, the top 12 of the NCAAs for the first time ever. It could have gone to the volleyball team, win the SEC for the first time in 30 years. So uh, for all of the focus on men's basketball, and I get it, that's the elephant in the room, that's what kind of drives the bus, uh, we are really, really competitive across the board. You know, I remember yeah. not too long ago when we were in school that those other sports, if you were, the non-revenue sports, we were the doormats. You know, people came to Lexington, that was an easy W. We had Kentucky on your schedule. <laughs> and it's not like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah. to me, that speaks volume of the commitment of the university, of Mitch Barnhart leveraging resources. Uh, I mean, you talk about John Crop Stadium. It is gorgeous. It is absolutely yeah. a beautiful stadium. You know, when you look really? at the Bell Complex, it's a beautiful stadium. You look at even the great the mm-hmm. Commonwealth Stadium. It's beautiful. The new baseball stadium. It's beautiful. There's a commitment there to facilities and to coaches, uh, and that's why, you know, we're, we're rising up those directors' cup breaking. So, um, well we talked we a lot of words to talk about we don't know what Coach Nick might do, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A, a lot of words to <laughs> say that. But but uh you know, it it's it's good that your your coaches want it. That's I think mm-hmm. the sign of, of a of a great program is, is that that people want your coach. If your coach isn't doing anything, if your program isn't doing anything, no one is thinking twice about coming to get your guy. So uh definitely Uh, even to get to this stage, I think is a step in the right direction.
0: Absolutely.
2: I got a kind of a Keith Madison small
1: world story that I'll tell real quick in a second, but just saw sad news that from, from the SEC and see Cal tweeting about it, that former SEC commissioner Mike Slive has just passed away at the age of 77. Um, Cal has tweeted out that I'm devastated tonight. This was 13 minutes ago. He tweeted it out. Devastated tonight over the passing of my friend and mentor, Mike Slav. I knew Mike was not feeling great, and earlier this week I wrote about his impact on my life. I shared this with Mike earlier today and wanted to share it with you as well. And then he's got a link to an article that Cal has written uh, about Mike Slav's impact on him on the CoachCal.com site. So, I mean, look, the the SEC football was hated by every country in the nation. You know, seven national championships in a row. Uh, You know, when you go back to the East and the West and the SEC championship game and how all that kind of took off and, you know, he was there. When it was Florida and LSU and Alabama and Auburn and you know winning all these titles and Greg's saying like, he's keeping it going now, but uh, definitely sad news to hear about the passing of, of Mike's lot today at 77.
2: Yeah, and, and and think about it. Think 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 back a little bit, and I don't know if this be my soapbox, but yeah, I definitely you know condolences to his family. But when you think about the SEC, growing up. You know, when we were coming up in the mid '80s, I mean, you had Herschel Walker, you had Bo Jackson, and the teams were good, but the SEC wasn't winning championships in the '80s, right? Not a lot
1: of national championships. Except for, except for that one Georgia got, and they should have got. And how we say Cal should maybe have more than one. I think Georgia beat, I want to say maybe Notre Dame 1980 or something. And they should have beat, like, Penn State the following year when Herschel went nuts and had a great season again, and then they ended up losing. They kind of left a title or two out there when they had Herschel
2: Walker. Right. But, yeah, and and I'm right there with you. I I agree. But when you look at that and and you say the 80s, um, you know, in, in Kentucky, you know, Kentucky basketball, wasn't quite Kentucky mm-hmm. to for. Yeah, we had the Final Four, the 80s, and whatnot. You look at the SEC's then, and then you see the dominoes start falling. Who was the first conference to expand into the East and West divisions, like you touched on? The SEC.
0: Mm-hmm. They set up
2: the title game. And if you haven't seen the documentary on that first title game between Alabama and Florida, do no, that. Oh, man. B- yeah. Because we take, it, we take it for granted right now. But uh, Mike Slav and SEC, they were forward-thinking, right? They were looking ahead. And for all the hate that the SEC generates, everybody is still trying to keep up with the SEC as far as TV money, you know, bowl game tie-ins. That was all SEC. That was Mike Slav looking forward from the way things used to be to the way things are. And then once he made it, it helped that the, the the coaches got better, the teams got better, and when the BCS rolled around, it helped that the SEC was really really good. Or when you look at the football portion, but he also on the basketball side, because again in the eighties, especially after Kentucky shame, Kentucky wasn't Kentucky, and really outside of Charles Barkley and you know, Dominique Wilkins and a couple you know, the person, you know, Chuck Person and Wesley Person here and there. And, you know, uh, Alabama had a pretty good team. Nobody in the SEC was really caring about men's basketball. But no. through TV deals saying, hey, we're going to get you guys on TV, you've got to invest. And bringing in Arkansas in the early 90s, that was the move. That was what really changed the SEC, both in football, because we expanded to the championship game, and in basketball. Because you and I have talked about this at length. Arkansas coming into men's basketball was what everybody needed to elevate their game. Arkansas comes in, boom, national title. Boom, national runner-up. And
0: boom, really
2: the first program since uh, the – the um, Ernie and Bernie show down in your neck of the woods to really kick Kentucky's butt. I mean, <laughs> you know, to really go toe to toe. And so that forced mm-hmm. a lot of the other coaches, a lot of the other athletic departments up there. Then you see, oh, Florida makes it to the final four ninety four. Mississippi State of all schools makes it in ninety six. Right? You set you set that yeah. uh, you, you set that And it's like we're seeing right now. The SEC basketball outside of Kentucky was bad a couple of years ago, but the home office is saying, "Hey, you guys have got to step it up." So you got to bring in Frank Martin, right? You got to bring in Bruce Pearl. You got to bring in Avery Johnson, right? You got to bring in uh, Ben Howland. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Now the SEC is as tough as it gets, and 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 a lot of words again to talk about Mike Slav and the SEC. Really setting the standard. The conferences are ch- still trying to follow. You know, the funny thing is this is the funny thing to me. All these conferences, all these teams moving around and, and, and schools moving, not one SDC school said we're leaving, if you notice that. <laughs> not one no. SDC school was unhappy. No. You can't say that about Big Ten, ACC, Big East, Big 12. They're all griping,
3: <laughs> you know,
2: because Texas <laughs> runs things, right? Texas yeah. runs things in the Big 12. And, and, and the Pac-12, you know, you got your Arizona schools, your California schools, and everybody's all fighting. <laughs> to quote Coach Town <laughs> yeah. and SEC, everybody eats. When it comes to football, mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're Alabama or Vanderbilt, everybody eats the same. Because if everybody eats the same, everybody gets a bigger portion. Men's basketball. We know Kentucky basketball is what sells SEC men's basketball. But everybody eats the same. And you take that revenue that the SEC schools get just for existing, and now you can pay for your baseball coach. Now you can pay for volleyball coach and facilities. And that's what we're seeing. This is what we talked about with SEC baseball and softball. They're competitive in everything, and part of that is the way that, that Mike Slav and SEC leadership positioned things in the early '90s, late '80s. You can definitely go back to that. So uh, I know I've done a lot of rambling here tonight, but but I just I feel that you can't overlook where the SEC is. And you remember kind of where it was when we were coming up, you know, Alabama was post Bear Bryant, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and it just it just wasn't that national cachet. You know, I remember, you know, on football, uh, you know, college football, there wasn't a lot of SEC games on TV. You know, the ABC game of the week with Keith Jackson was some Big Ten or Pac-10 matchup. I
3: remember oh, right. those games.
2: SEC wasn't on TV at all.
0: <laughs>
2: I mean, yeah. So so now That's true. You know, right. So now we're on TV. You know, now we're broadening the 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 fan base outside of just our region. The SEC was the first conference to do that, and it was Mike Slive and 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 the powers that be at that time that were forward thinking to get the SEC where it is today, where people hate it, <laughs> where people literally hate it. You know, when when Georgia and Alabama yeah. playing for a title, people hate it. You know, when South Carolina beat uh Mississippi State in women's basketball, people hate it. <laughs> you
0: know,
2: <laughs> when when Vanderbilt, I think they I think it was Florida they beat for the national championship, people hate it. You know. <laughs> people you know, hate it. And it's when, the,
1: when they, the when they dog SEC, mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. They dog SEC basketball. And it's Kentucky and Florida and, and somebody else in the Elite Eight. You know, we got three teams in the Elite Eight of a conference they said wasn't very good. It's SEC. And I think part of it is jealousy because, again, you can't you – can't, I think we can't overstate the importance of Coach, uh, coach live. There I go again. Mike Slive getting Arkansas, expanding football, and then using that model to raise all the other sports. So, uh, again, a lot of words to kind of explain that, but I I absolutely believe it to be be true. You can look from when Arkansas and South Carolina came in the SEC, you can just look at how we have gotten demonstrably better in everything. And it's because of that. You bring in money, you upgrade facilities, you upgrade coaches, and there you go.
1: That's it. That's it. Let's take another quick break. We're rolling right along. First hour's already come and gone. We'll uh, come back. We got plenty more random stuff to talk about. All kind of different topics. Hope y'all enjoying the show. Appreciate you listening. Feel free to call eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. You got a comment? You want to jump in or whatever we're talking about, or just take it a totally different direction with a sports topic or something that's on your mind. Uh, feel free to do so. We'll be here till 8 o'clock. Uh, Catch Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy, Terry Brown, Brother Hardy Radio Network, com. Welcome back, y'all. Cats Talk Wednesday. Vinnie Hardy, Terry Brown. Follow us on Twitter at Cats Talk Wednesday. Give the Facebook page a like at Cats Talk Wednesday as well. Uh, we'll be here till 8 o'clock. Hitting all kinds of topics. Still got all kinds more uh, to hit on as well. Uh, just talked about the sad news of the past and the former SEC Commissioner, Mike Slav And as you would expect, a lot of tributes coming in with, you know, well-known influence, a lot of people great at his job, a great man as well. But just a couple of uh, examples. Of course, you know, Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, uh, tweeted out, just so hard to believe former SEC Commissioner Mike Slive died at 877, incredible man. Dick Gabriel here in Lexington, Big Blue Insider, uh, shows on right now, same time as ours, on 630 in Lexington. Uh, says he was responsible for the Southeastern Conference becoming so dominant as any culture AD in the country. Probably the most responsible, right there. Exact same thing that you've been saying. Uh, we had uh, a couple of years ago Vince Ferrara, uh, who's here in Knoxville, uh, does some baseball work for the Vols. Uh, had a radio show here in Knoxville. Does a lot of MMA stuff as well. Um, he was tweeting out, said, "Man, that hits hard." Because this is also Vince was also got at ACC media days and up close and personal and, and doing interviews and stuff like that. Elite leader and commissioner, special communication skills, presence and charm, helped make him feel helped make him very influential and accomplished in college sports. Humble in a class act, always made you feel important. And appreciate it. That's just a little sample size of the thoughts that everybody had about uh, Mike's life. As a commissioner, as a person, all kind of rolled into one. So that's kind of a little snippet of what everybody will be reflecting on over the next little bit.
2: And I I feel good. I'm in good company from what I'm saying, and I'm not too far off uh, on that. But but definitely... (laughs) Uh, with the with the SEC and in turn the rest of the country, because that's what started all the the moving around. That's why Maryland's in the Big Ten and West Virginia's right. in the Big Twelve. It, <laughs> is basically it, when you break it down, everybody's trying to keep up with the SEC. That you know it. that's that's it.
1: Absolutely, my. Um... We talked about U.K. baseball and and Nick Minjo and Mississippi State. And uh, is Kentucky going to make its way to being uh, one of those tradition-rich schools on a consistent basis, Uh, which if if they get to host this year uh, at the Cliffs, this will be the first time it's happened back-to-back in decades. So this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about building tradition. Last year they hosted – The euphoric, joyous ride that Kentucky baseball took us all on, the best run basically since 88 when Keith Madison and that team were just an out or strike away uh, from the College World Series. So it happens in little tiny bits every few decades is what we're talking about here. So they're trying to go back-to-back at the Cliff as a host for the first time in, I wonder, 40, 50, 60 years. Somewhere, I mean, it's been a long time. Uh, so that's what Coach Jones uh, is trying to do. My little uh, Keith Madison Small World story, the other day, my, my mom and dad had given me a call. They were in Berea heading up to Lexington. A lady from home, where I grew up with, uh, had had some bad health and was having to have some surgery, she was up in U.K. and they was going to have to continue to rehab in Lexington after her surgery. So they were going to see her. They were on their way to Lexington. But also, my dad had been wanting a, uh, a battery-operated push mower. He's got a ride mower. He rides and does a lot of it. There's still a little bit he likes to get out and push, but... In uh, his words, he said, I'm tired of just bending over and pulling that crank. He said, I'm going to get me a battery-operated mower and not fool with this no more. I was like, okay, Dad. So my sister had found a battery-operated mower, like on Craigslist, and from somebody up in Lexington. She's an RN in Lexington. She had found one. You know, talked to Dad. I think it's one you like. Dad looked at it, you know, called the people. This is the one I want, so... So we'll go and see Sandy, who was sick and, and had surgery. And in the process, I'll go and get this lawnmower, and you know I can have me a battery-operated push mower because that's what he—that's what he been wanting. So we—we're he, gonna get him one. And when they get to where the mower is and start talking, come to find out, he bought the mower from Keith Madison's son, Tyler. Dad had UK stuff on, and in the course of conversation, you're a big fan, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he said, are you? This is Dad talking. He said, yeah, my dad used to be <laughs> the baseball coach. And he's like, Keith? And he said, yeah. So they got to talking. And then he said, well, you know, my son and his buddy Terry Brown had had Keith on their show. So they gave him a card to the show, and Tyler said he was going to check out the show. And so – I get a DM from Coach Madison on Twitter talking about my son <laughs> just met your parents. <laughs> Isn't it a small world? <laughs> and I was like, Wow, that is really cool. I said I just talked to him on the phone when they were heading to Lexington. I said, I didn't know they were gonna end up, you know, of course meeting your son. So it was it was cool how that all worked out and you know, all the paths crossed and, and all that inner working's happened. So uh pretty neat deal. Uh got to meet Coach Madison's son got him a cool lawnmower that he can do his pushing with still, and and not have to crank it anymore. And so it, it was just
2: it was just cool how that worked out. Oh yeah, definitely. It sounds it, it, and that's one thing you find out, you know, the world isn't as big as we like to believe. I
3: know we talk
2: about the 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 uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon or, or whatnot, but but in all honesty, I mean, you can. You just don't know how your paths are going to cross. And my dad would say that's why you have to do things the right way. And I'm sure your dad would say the same. Mm-hmm. You just don't know uh, yeah. who, who you're going to run into under the craziest of circumstances, even, you know, a Craigslist <laughs> hand.
1: That's, that's it. That's it. So, cool, deal, And we definitely appreciate it when we had Coach Madison on the show. And, of course, he's, you know, come back to my neck of the woods. You know, and done a lot of work um, with the schools and, and helping underprivileged people there in the mountains as well as abroad in you know Costa Rica and places where he does um, all kinds of charitable deeds there as well. But uh, so he's been all over where I'm from, knows all about it. So it was cool that you know, my dad and his son kind of running each other like that or oh, getting a lawnmower. <laughs> we uh, we talked also about Louisville. We, you know, you mentioned Louisville baseball with Coach McDonald, and you mentioned how you know when you covered the regional, you're impressed with him and how you know Mississippi State. You can't blame them interested in McDonald or Mangione. Speaking of Louisville, keep it on Louisville. You know, Coach Tino was again. A Washington Post article by Will Hobson came out today, and he's basically talking about you know this kid Romeo Langston. can we go talking recruiting him here who he just Indiana, but you know was looking at louisville uh Holly guard, I think Vanderbilt even was trying to make a run at it, but he committed you know was interviewed, and it's saying that it was to him that. Lancer needs to go to an Adidas school, or you know, Adidas needs wants to make sure his team get enough money for him to go to an Adidas school. I just don't, I don't understand what the point of it is. I mean, Rick is not over anymore. He's moved on, Well, they moved on. He needs to move on. But moving was an Adidas school. I mean, is, is he just? He just. Trying to take The stank off of himself From all of this By just to drag them into it And look If you were still at Louisville What are you saying? There's my question Is is Langford at Louisville? <laughs> if you're, but I want to know Because Louisville is a Dita school as well So if you're trying to deflect You're not even doing a good job of that So I just I don't even usually respond to Rick when he's on the news or any stories about him. Ever since they all finally were let go, when him and George, when it all was official, we talked about it then. Then you hear all this stuff about it. I don't even pay attention, but that one right there just—that just even that one me back in to like have to say something about tonight. I mean, what
2: are we doing? Well, it, it here's—it's now gotten to the point with Patino that even the most diehard cardinal supporter is is done even the most you know bleed red all that kind of stuff and and keep in mind he said four interviews ago that he wasn't going to give any more interviews
0: <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> but we we are seeing kind of what uh, we've all kind of known for a while that Rick is just out for Rick. And all these things that he professes about whatever team he's coaching, this love and all this kind of stuff, Rick is just out for Rick. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but that explains his motivation. I think that part of his motivation Simply is at this point He loves to hear himself talk People are going to give him an avenue And I I think at this point He has to say That he's going to You know he's going to burn everything down Some people just like to watch the world burn I think that's uh, That's probably You know what we're looking at here Is just that He's going to Burn it all on the way out I think that that's just kind of his his mindset, uh, because I don't even know why he's bringing up Romeo Langford. Like I, I just don't, you know, I don't know what the what the benefit is. But and I talked to some folks. I went to a derby party. I went to uh, I talked to a lot of Louisville folks, and I've kind of brought this I brought this up before. When you look at old coaches, even coaches that ran afoul of the NCAA, and I'm talking about your Eddie Sutton, your Jerry Tarkanian, uh, those type of guys. Old coaches, we forget a lot of their sins from when they were working when they get old. Old coaches, they go to games like, like Joe B. Hall. You know, yes, he won the 78th title, but but folks of your dad's generation, my dad's generation, if they're honest, a lot of Kentucky people feel like Joe B. Hall left some titles out there, right? I mean, there's that sentiment. But right now, I'll tell you, and, and you know, you've been to games. I don't know that there's any one person that gets a bigger ovation on the big screen than Joe B. Hall. Yeah. You know? The same can be said for Denny Crum. The same can be said just about for any coach. You know, I've seen uh, ESPN games, when they're at St. John's. Oh, you know, there's Lou Karseka, Big John uh, Thompson at Georgetown. You know, Dean Smith, until his health was fading, was always at the Dean Smith Center. And, again, I say a lot of words to say this, where does Patino go? Mm. He's not getting any younger, Mm. even if he goes to Team X. But where does he ride off into the sunset? Where does he become Mm. that? And so I think Mm. he realizes that. So now it's burn it all down, I think is his mindset. (laughs) Because he's not going to get that warm, fuzzy response. He can't go back to Lexington you know, rightly or, or, or wrongly, however you feel about that. And I think we should still continue to give him his props for what he did in Lexington. A tremendous job. It goes without saying. Yeah. You have to
0: say it mm-hmm.
2: But going to Louisville and being as ridiculous as he was when he was at Louisville about it, he can't come back to Lexington. Obviously
0: mm-hmm.
2: he's not going to be allowed you know, he's not going to get a seat at the Young Center.
0: <laughs>
2: and honestly is there anyone in Providence that remembers that miraculous team? Does does he he go to Providence to get those warm fuzzies? So he's become a Mm -hmm. man with no home. Because even all the other kind of NCAA scallywags, and and, and really, I brought up Jay Tarkanian, who we know was constantly in battle with the NCAA, but he was still beloved at UNLV. You know, and, and, and with a little bit of time, I think a lot of people softened their stance on uh, Eddie Sutton. He was beloved in Stillwater at Oklahoma State. And I right. would even venture that if he had ever made it back to uh, Lexington, he would probably get applause along the lines of Joe B. But where's Patino go? Ooh. I mean, that is yeah. – and, and I don't want to say it's it's him – like, it's just his, you know, personality. When you look at that situation, and your resume is, look, you coached two of the top seven or eight college basketball programs. You coached both programs to national championships, and you're not welcome at either place. I mean, that is like that is a Greek tragedy. wrapped. I mean, that's that's a lot to unpack.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh,
3: with
2: all that today, i have just – Rick is all about Rick. Uh, he's going down in a blaze of glory trying to take, I guess, whoever else he can, I, I guess. But it just uh, – I think the more he talks, the more he hurts his ongoing case with the university. Uh, and, yeah, and, and he,
1: you know, that's, he was – He was scheduled to be on in Louisville today. Of course, he just had this interview with the Post, but he's going to be on uh, 790KRD, Ramsey and Rutherford today at 510. I was going to try to listen. I wasn't able to, but, you know, they're going to ask him about this and who knows what else he's going to say and, and all of that. But you mentioned Eddie Sutton. I was thinking about it when I saw the tweet that he's going to be on the radio in Louisville. Uh, I'm like, you know, nobody at UK who was, you know, uh, unceremoniously or dismissed or left with a lot of scandal, But you know, Eddie Sutton wasn't on with Tom Leach. You know, Billy Gillespie wasn't on with Tom Leach months and months after he got fired or Dick Gabriel. It just wasn't happening. But (laughs) Rick just won't go away. So, like you said, even the
2: most staunch supporters – have even gotten tired of it. yeah the the, the I've, I've talked to you know i I'm, I'm here kind of in the belly of the beast if you will, and it's just he needs to stop talking and
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, it, this goes back to people think they people most of us overestimate how smart we are you know if you ask most people are you above average intelligence, most people will say yes
3: most
2: people. We just kind of overestimate ourselves, and we tell ourselves that if we can talk, we can outthink anybody, and my dad, you know, who was a police officer, said when it comes to interrogation, uh, you just keep people talking. He said that's that's the trick. You keep people talking, and they will give you a case. You know, they tell you you got the right to remain silent. Most people won't, but if they did, you know (laughs) – but people think that they like. I'm gonna keep talking; I'll be able to talk my way out of it. And I just think his his lawyer has to be saying, "Shut up! You know, stop yeah. talking." But uh, Ooh, I know rambling a lot. We got we got to get to we got to get to the uh, NBA playoffs. We got a lot to unpack. Oh yeah, too. oh
1: yeah, we we sure do. I got a couple quick little random things. It's me. I just like I said, all these little random topics that I'm just throwing out. And speaking of, you know, next week, I'm not sure how many we'll have, but I know for sure the 35th and Kentucky guys are going to be on at 7 o'clock, 35th and Kentucky sports show. Uh, they've had us on. We've had them on in the past. Um, two Kentucky fans and one Louisville fan, I think, but they hit Kentucky and Louisville stuff. Uh, so, you know, definitely talks from Taye Rozier, some Donovan Mitchell and some Rick Patino now <laughs> with them as well <laughs> next week. Uh so that'll definitely be a lot of fun. So y'all tune in for that. Uh and and who knows we might have some other guests, you know, line align along the way. I gotta ask you real quick, and we we'll definitely get to the playoffs. You and I have been privileged to to cover Kentucky games, football games, basketball games, baseball, Gymnastics, softball, home, away, neutral site, tournament games, bowl games, you know, and all in between. Not full time in every game, but had the privilege to do more than our first year and probably more than we ever thought we would get to do. Uh, even got to do that one game together. I think my first game in Rupp, you were there. So we both got to be there for that one. I was watching you catch loose balls got to meet Bradley McKee and, you know, so I got the full rookie initiation and, and just been having a blast ever since. And you also, along with that, you got to, you know, you have to be quiet as a media member in the press box. You have to, you know, keep everything reserved and just tweet and type whatever you're observing and get your article ready and get your post and questions ready if you have it and all that. Now, Now that we've done that for a while, and when you are at home, how does Terry Brown watch a game? If it's Kentucky, do you immediately go into fan mode or do you sometimes catch yourself just still being in media mode at the house? Or do you just automatically start yelling at the TV and pacing around the living room? How do you watch a game at the house?
2: Well, first off, uh, I I tell people that the most challenging part of being a fan and covering the games is not cheering. It 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 hurts my heart a little bit. It hurts my spirit to go to Rupp Arena and not have on my blue paraphernalia, of which I have a tremendous amount.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> to be honest with you for my blue pants and my sweater vests and my polos and my this, that, you know, my UK ties my bow ties, yada, 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 my socks. Uh, so it's hard to do that. It's even harder to not cheer or not complain about officiating or whatever it is as a, as, as a media person. Now, when you're at the upper media level there at RUPS, and you're just kind of among the other kind of bloggers, and even some some regular quote unquote regular media members uh, and the fans. You can get by with some things. Uh, a few years ago, that dunk that Alex Poitras had against Arizona State, where he took off, you know, a step inside the free throw line and, and gave a baptism. I, said, I jumped up, and then I sat back down kind of
0: quietly. And, you know,
2: the guy behind me's like, Dave, hey, you're
0: all right." <laughs> you know, I, I, I uh, that fly.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> so I kind of let that fly a little bit. Uh but when I'm at home it's a little bit it's a little bit different. Uh if I'm at if I'm at here by myself, uh, I'm a I'm a lot more vocal. I'm not quite as vocal uh when I'm out. So I, I think that covering the team, even when I'm not there, I'm not as vocal as I used to be. Like it's not as intense as it used to be. Now, that being said, having covered a couple of the Cat tournament games, that is tough. That is tougher than anything Ooh. else. The the Ooh. NCAA tournament games, because uh, I'll be honest, uh, in Atlanta this past year against uh, uh, Kansas State, I did not want to go into the locker room. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, you know Tina, the, the new grandmother, was like, TB, we got to go in there. I, was, I don't want to go in there, you know, because it's just, ooh, ooh. you know, yeah. I've been around the Kentucky team after they lost, but a tournament loss, and it just, you know, it. So uh, when I'm at home, I, I'm, I'm loud, I'm vocal, but not quite as as bad as I used to be before I kind of started covering the team.
1: Yeah, and
2: I'm.
1: I've got now gotten now to where I can do either or at home. I you know I can watch Kentucky and old Miss at Rip Arena, and I can live tweet it like I'm in the box. Or I can yell <laughs> at the TV. The, the next game, I can be vocal and yell at the TV. Uh, and I, I guess maybe towards the end of the season, there was a little stretch where I was more quiet side. But then you got to the SEC tournament, and uh, I think they played Georgia first and then Alabama. Um, So, so vocal for that one. But the Tennessee game for the SEC championship, we were all watching it. Uh, Had our best friends over, and their little boy, Tony and Casey and Jakara, they are watching it. Of course, they're Tennessee fans. And... (laughs) when Sasha Kalia Jones got that put back off of Williams' miss three to kind of seal it, I was off the couch and just and just leaped into the air. And, and my little boy was like, God, Daddy, you was, you jumped up so high when he done that. <laughs> you know, it, I, I just kind of go back and forth now that I have been able to cover some. You know, like one game I might be straight up press box mode the next I'm just straight up fan mode, so I don't know. I just wanted to see how you had done since you started covering, because I, I figured it had been some changes to the way you watch a game, and it has been from both of us.
2: Well, yeah, and and like I said, it, it's tough to not do it when you're there, especially at at Rupp, where the crowd is the crowd is roaring, and 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 things are going good. It's 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 hard to not get into that fan mode. Uh but my thing is I, I hope it's a challenge that I never have to give up. I, I've often said that the day I go to cover a game, you know, wherever it is or whatever's going on and I don't get excited, you know, that's that's the time I'll stop. If I go in a rep arena and I just treat it like a oh okay, you know, that's the time to let someone else do it. But every time I go I, I, I definitely enjoy it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, plenty of random stuff. I got one more question, but I'll save it for next week just to put on the list. And it would be fun just to ask about that next week. The NBA playoffs, I'm going to let you go first wherever you want to go because you know I'm going to have plenty of Rockets thoughts. But uh, we got the Celtics halfway away, you know, halfway to the finals uh, against Cleveland, we got game two, Houston, and going to stay tonight. So I'm just going to let you go wherever. And, of course, we got plenty to
2: unpack, like you said. Well, I, I think, number one, the, the elephant in the room here is let us stop with these with these GOAT debates. Let us stop with the Jordan versus LeBron debate. Let us stop with that <laughs> and and let us appreciate just how great LeBron is. Uh, It used to be that, you know, your team wins and losses, you won and lost as a team. Now every loss is indicative of you as a player. Um, And I I think that that's just – it's really unfair and unfortunate because – when you just look at team accomplishments, there's no way that you can tell me that Eli Manning is a better quarterback than Dan Marino. I'm just not buying that argument. So I I think you have to look at team success a little bit. Uh, Basically, this Cleveland team is flawed. It's not as good as current additions. And I've seen that information circulating around – social media, when you look at Boston's payroll, because Irving and and, uh, Gordon Hayward are not playing, and you look at Cleveland's payroll, that doesn't mean anything except Cleveland overpaid for a lot of guys. (laughs) That doesn't mean anything. When you look at the actual way the team is structured, uh, what has hurt Cleveland the most is uh, Kevin Love has not lived up to what he was doing in Minnesota. That's the big thing is there's really no one else on the Cleveland's team that can get their own shot. Everything is predicated off LeBron's movement with and without the ball. And with Kyrie Irving, he could go get you. He could create offense on, a, on his own. And that's, the, and that's the difference. And we have a, a top-level coach like Brad Stevens who can scheme around that and kind of shut down the extra guys well, then, you know, you've got a game plan for success against Cleveland. Uh, so, I, am I surprised that it's 2-0 Boston? I am. I thought that, uh, especially last night, I thought that the way they came out, the Cavs, LeBron was going to be superhuman, which he was. I thought the Cavs were going to be able to capital, capitalize on that, which they were not. So, uh, you know, I was a little, little disappointed about that. About that, but with with the game with the series going back to Cleveland, and you know the old adage, your role players play better at home. I, I don't think the series is over. I, I think that the Cavs are in a deep hole. I mean that's obvious. But if you know by the weekend it's tied up at two two, okay, it's a different animal uh, than it is right now. So uh, LeBron, you know, is in danger of not making the finals for the first time in a long time. So let us appreciate that. Now shifting westward, and I know you've got some some thoughts here. Uh, I mean, Golden State is, is, is tough, and and if your Rockets don't want to be in a hole, a deep deep hole going to Oracle, I mean, it, this is a must win. Uh, because with Golden State already having one on the road. You do not want to go d do go to take down 0-2. I mean that's just putting it right in uh their wheelhouse so um I don't know what changes you because I didn't think the Rockets played poorly, but when Kevin Durant is locked in, goodness i mean what do you i mean woo, what do you, what do you do with that when he's locked in and ready to go that's a that's a tough uh, situation to be in, especially when you've got clay. On one side and Steph Curry on the other. That's just a, that's just tough.
1: Yeah, for and for Cleveland, Boston. You you know you, LeBron is the greatest player of this generation. Jordan was the greatest of ours, and you know he you know I one of the greatest ever. I wasn't a fan of either. They, you know, neither one of them played for my favorite team, so I, I did respect what they've accomplished. I respected Jordan. Uh, I pulled for him in '91 to beat the Lakers, and you know, you no, know, I, just, I just did because uh, my Hawks weren't there, so I, I did pull for him then. But I respected him. Had to respect him hitting all those threes against Portland. Uh, the three peeps, gotta respect that. Got to respect what LeBron has done, getting to the finals for almost a decade straight. <clears throat> and But at the same time, I'm not going to be sympathetic this time when you hear, well, LeBron is just dragging this team to the finals. Yeah, he is. But I'm sure he also had a say in the trade that was made that has the supporting cast that he currently has. They were playing terrible before that trade. Uh I'm sure he had a say in Dwayne Wade been brought in. That didn't work. Dwayne Wade got shit back in Miami. So I'm not gonna you know, is he hard to play with? Maybe is he controlling too much? Maybe a lot of great players have been and will continue to be so. I just know that Steve Kerr got his eye black but he still stayed and was winning games. You know, there wasn't no big overhaul of the Bulls' teams prior to the postseason. You know, as as big of a jerk as MJ was, they rode with him. You know, Horace Grant what? took it and stayed, except for the time when he went to Orlando. So I'm not – I don't feel sorry for LeBron and this squad being down too well. I'm sure Love should play better. Did Kyrie want out that bad? Would he a threatened to have knee surgery if he hadn't been traded? Maybe, but, you know, all of that smoke and all that fire, it, it, you are where you are. You just got to deal with it. So I don't feel, in 2007, when you had Boobie Gibson and all that team, you got swept by San Antonio. Okay, I can be a little more sympathetic to that. But now that you have leverage and power, and players deserve to have leverage, especially when you put in as much tenure as he has. I don't feel sorry for you if you ain't got the team that you want on this version
2: of the Cavaliers yeah and and i can i can I can see that uh obviously uh but they just didn't have a lot of flexibility uh I know that he, you know, uh, you know, everybody knows that LeBron is a GM and and what have you, but you know, I, I just once once they made a decision that Kyrie had to go, and and Kyrie kind of made it known that he was not going to to play. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of of moves they could make to offset that. Uh, you know, they thought that Isaiah How did Thomas. Was, Go ahead. How do you keep from
1: getting to that point? How do you keep from getting to that point? You know, when you got a guy's dynamic as, as he is, who, who who helped win you that ring with it, you know, with that game seven, you know, with the, with the clutch plays, you know, and steps eye with that three in game seven. Maybe what is, do what you can <laughs> to pacify that guy. You got to realize you need him. <laughs> You but, know. but here's the and now he's on the team that's whooping you without him.
2: Yeah, and, and I and I get that, but here's the here's the difference. We are in the post Michael Jordan world. What is the most derogatory thing you can tell a player? You're Scottie Pippen. You tell someone they're Scottie Pippen, it is a negative, and it, it just is. Now prior to that. Prior to the, the Jordan Bulls, it was understood you needed an elite guy. You needed a couple of elite guys, right? And we didn't have this whole dynamic of who is the big dog. It, there wasn't a pecking order. You know, with, with, with Bird Celtics, it was, you know, Bird, Parrish, McHale, Dennis Johnson, uh, Bill Wall. I mean, you had to have great players. But now, when you've got LeBron and you're telling Kyrie Irving you're just Scottie Pippen, who but mind Scottie Pippen was really good, but it's a different mindset. Nobody wants to be the second banana. You're seen as, as not being the man, and it's a totally different dynamic that we that we demand from our basketball players. So I just don't think. Even had LeBron reached out and tried to make nice with Kyrie Irving, I just don't think it was a workable situation. Even with the championship in hand, I just don't think that. I just don't think it was workable. I mean, that I could be reading the tea leaves wrong on that, but I just think it's a different dynamic that we see in today's NBA versus what we saw even when we were growing up. That the Jordan Bulls switched it all around, changed everything. Some for good, some for not so good. Uh, you know, it used to be the whole thing. You couldn't lead the NBA in scoring and, and, and you know, win a championship. That was the old mindset. You look at Bird, you look at Magic, you look at even going back to Wilt Chamberlain. All the times he led his team in scoring, what did he win? That was the mindset. Jordan changed it. Right? I mean, so that's the one thing we're comparing LeBron and these current teams to this change narrative, and it, 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 just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It doesn't apply. So I don't know that Kyrie Irving, Yeah, I just don't think it could have worked. I mean, if your well, selling if... point is, look, if we stay together, we can win championships, and the kid says, I don't care about that, I mean, what do you do? There, there's, there's no other selling point. <laughs> Well, what's he
1: – I mean, but Kyrie knows what it's like to be the only superstar. I mean, he was winning 20 games a year before LeBron came back. Now, what does he think is going to happen in Boston? Now, this isn't even the version of Celtics that everybody thought. You know, it was going to be Kyrie. It's going to be Gordon Hayward. It's going to be Al Horford. Al Horford was the man in Atlanta. Hayward was the man in Utah. Kyrie was the man in Cleveland, pre LeBron, and was still influential when LeBron got there. Who's going to be Scotty Pippen? Is, is Kyrie thinking he's just going to be the alpha over Hayward and Horford? Have they all been able to play together?
2: Or That's got be, to be his mindset. You're going to have
1: to coexist. You're going to have to coexist with somebody, or if you, unless you really don't care about winning. And then you can go go beat 26 to 56 by yourself
2: if that's what you want. And I'm I'm not saying LeBron is not difficult to play with. We we, we know he takes, you know, some some, – outside of this year, he played all 82 games, but he takes time off. He's passive aggressive. I mean, I I get all that. And, And if you dig deep, all the greats, your Jordans, your Magic, they're all difficult to play for your birds. Mm -hmm. They're all difficult to play with and, and, and be teammates up because of the expectations. Uh, So I don't want to say that LeBron was better or worse than any of those other guys. You know, I read the Showtime Lakers book and magic with a smile on his face, you know, during practice, he's whipping the ball off people's heads and, you know, trying to break <laughs> fingers to prove a point that mm-hmm. you have to be ready to play with me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we hear stories about Jordan, and we know about LeBron, and we know about Larry Bird's mean streak. I was surprised that Magic was not always the best teammate. He had the he had mm-hmm. the Hollywood smile, but he was kind of a jerk. He demanded a ball yeah. He mm-hmm. set a pit the way he wanted it set. So I, I don't think we can say, oh, LeBron is – an outlier because again, we have seen that going back, yeah. you know, uh, Bob Cousy has said that at times, Bill Russell wasn't a great teammate in the locker room. So I, I just, I don't think that you can say, oh, LeBron is difficult. And Kyrie can't, Yeah. You know, I, I think there's more to it than we probably know, but I, I just don't know if LeBron was that horrible. I just, I think personality-wise, they just couldn't make it work. And sometimes I that guess. happens at your job, at my yeah. job. I think sometimes it just it just doesn't work for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back to my rockets too, but I'm I'm just saying, Steve Kerr took his black eye and went home. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's but,
2: all I'm saying. <laughs> but but. but I hear you. But so Steve Kerr wasn't Steve Kerr wasn't Kyrie Irving either. No. You know, Steve Kerr wasn't wasn't an all star either. I if 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 you were saying that Michael Jordan punched uh Scotty Pippen and Pippen sucked <laughs> it up that's one thing. But and and I'm coming from personal experience, being a Lakers fan, we talked about this last week. Shaq and Kobe should have squeaked out another championship yeah. or two. Mm, yeah. Sometimes
1: yeah. it just doesn't work, you know. Prior you to Shaq and Kobe, it, it used to work. Prior to Shaq and Kobe, it, it used to, you it, know, it Jordan, the Celtics stayed together, the Lakers stayed together. Isaiah Thomas went upside Bill Laimbeer's head. They stayed together. Prior to Shaq and Kobe, the big stars stayed together. Worthy never went nowhere, even though he was third wheel. It, you know, it, it's, I don't know. it it's just a
2: 21st century thing. Yeah, I mean, guys are younger and all that. I mean, and I feel for Cleveland because it was, but but Shaq and Kobe. I, 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 I think yeah. I sent you that tweet of how dominant they were for 2000, yeah. 2001, that stretch. I mean, they were, they were great. This, this Everybody's like, well, the Rockets, or not, I'm sorry, you're but the, the Warriors, I mean, Wasn't anybody? There wasn't a a team that was going to beat the Lakers that year. Those two years, even those three years, it was a foregone conclusion. You know, we've talked about that before. Oh, the the Warriors are are bad for basketball. Outside of the seventies, the NBA has always been a few teams winning. You know, the nineties. You know, the nineties. It was your Rockets and the Bulls. That's eight of the ten titles in the nineties. You look at the eighties eight of them between the Lakers and the Celtics. You know,
0: everybody's like, oh, I want
2: it competitive and balanced. When has it ever been balanced? That's not the NBA's (laughs) model. The NFL will will give you that parity and all that kind of stuff. That's not what the NBA is built on. You know, the start of the season, you kind of know what top three or four teams are going to be there. That's kind of what the NBA is about. It's not selling you this narrative that mm-hmm. you know, Milwaukee, you got a shot to win it. No, you don't. Not in the best of seven <laughs> series ever round. No, you don't. You know, baseball can you know. can sell that narrative of a team getting hot at the end and, and you know, we've seen, you know, what Eli Manning and the Giants have done, you know, they've been below five hundred and they then they just catch fire and win the Super Bowl. That doesn't happen in the NBA. it, it just doesn't. You know, we haven't even seen an eight seed come close to beating the one seed since they expanded to seven games in the first round. Because in seven games, the best team wins. That's just how it goes. So, uh, no. I know you want to talk about your Rockets a little bit, and I've been I've been a little windy here today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no,
3: it's
2: all good. And speaking of Milwaukee, uh, former
1: Hawks coach uh, Steve Bootenhoser who was fired from Atlanta just got hired as the coach of the Bucks. who fired um, fired Jason Kidd and went with an interim coach until they got beat in the playoffs. So now Coach Bud is going to move from Atlanta to Milwaukee. So uh, there's that as far as non-playoff NBA news. He also had the draft lottery last night with Phoenix getting the first Mike Gwynholder, not Steve, finished getting the first pick in the draft as well, so we'll see if they get Aiden or Bagley or whatever. As for my Rockets You know, first first game it was Monday was kind of a must win to set the tone for the series. Just I think from a confidence standpoint, because look, going to State knows they can do it. Houston is still trying to realize if they can do it. That's Chris Paul's first ever game in the conference finals, uh, 33 years of age. Uh, I tweeted out I wanted to see them hopefully come out and, you know, come out amped up, get off to a good start, but don't be so amped up and jacked up that you're tight. They weren't tight. They got off to a good start. They're up 23 to 12 and and then weren't able to sustain it. Um, we talked about the shot clock violations with Kentucky and Wisconsin. You had Houston, one of the fastest teams in the league when it comes to pace, had three or four shot clock violations, Where you know, and that was totally uncharacteristic. You saw a lot of opportunities in transition where they had numbers and it's a turnover, out of bounds, or – a turnover and go to State's going the other way, and they get a layup. A lot of four-point swings like that. You mentioned Kevin Durant, and it didn't matter. You know, I, my hope was that, you know, Trevor Ariza could just guard him and just hope for the best. He was in foul trouble. And basically like Reggie Miller was saying, it's, you know, whoever you're going to put on here is about to get it. And, you know, P.J. Tucker was getting it. Gerald uh, Green was getting it. James Harden was getting it. Uh, Reason got a little bit. Our guy, Kurt Lowe, we had on the show Talk Rockets with, uh, okay. tweeted out they're going to have to put Capella on Durant. And I was like, oh, I hope they don't do that. Capella got on him a couple times. Capella got some, too. Now, he actually had a little bit of his toughest shots came with Capella on him. But Capella was still getting that work. It didn't matter as as far as Durant the other night. Uh, And that's kind of scary when you consider Curry had a quiet 18 points. Uh, Harden had 41, great. But Houston, in my opinion, struggled to get to 106 points. A couple of those buckets was in garbage time. It was a scratch and claw. It wasn't an easy, effortless 106 points. The rest of the team outside of Harden at 65 points, that's not going to cut it, because Clay and KD canceled that out themselves. They had, the two of them had 65 between the two of them. They canceled out the entire non-James Harden Houston Rockets. So, you know, and defensively, a lot of wide open threes. You can't give them nothing wide open. Then Tony's already talking about they're not going to change much anything. Just got to do what we do better we're going to see. We're going to see. Uh, you you got to get some buckets in transition. That would have made a big difference in the game. Luke Mute, I know I'm getting windy now, has dislocated <laughs> his shoulder on two different occasions. I tweeted it as it happened, TB. He, you know, uh, he hurt it in the regular season, missed about a month, went up for a dunk uh, in the playoffs, Uh, against Minnesota, dislocated his shoulder again. Went up Monday night, missed a couple just point blank bunnies, and you could just see that he didn't do I dunk it. No, I better not. I dislocated my shoulder doing that. Do I lay it up? Got caught in the middle, didn't know what to do. Missed point blank shots, go to stage, run the other way with numbers. Uh, Article comes out the next day. Mbamute still can't dunk and he's like, I've got to make a mental adjustment. I'm still thinking too much about it. You could see it plain as day. It jumped out the TV screen at me. I said this dude still literally he's not wanting to dunk because and you know, that mental obstacle you carry ACL is your knee gonna be right. Well, I've dislocated my shoulder dunking, I don't think I need to dunk. And you you know a lot of little missed opportunities right there just bunny layups, getting beat off fast breaks, leaving clay wide open for just warm up threes, you know, that that can't happen either. So as much as must win as much of a must win as Monday was, is amplified many times over going into tonight. Uh Dan Tony talked about how they went to Utah and won two in a row after Utah came in and stole game two in Houston. Well look, you ain't playing Utah now. You can go to Salt Lake City and win two in a row And, you know, basically In that series By, you know, leaving Utah 3-1 You don't want to Have to even entertain a thought Of going to Oakland and trying to win two It's Because, I mean It's just a whole
0: different task
2: yeah, so they, they've They've got to show out tonight What I'd like to see Is a little bit more ball movement I know mm-hmm. that, that Houston's offense is kind of hardened, you know, putting the ball on a string, putting guys on highlight. But I think with that, with the way Golden State plays defense, and if you've got Draymond Green, you don't like him. But with him back there, uh, you know, making the calls and 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 everything, and as long as KD is, uh, and I think Clay Thompson is a pretty good defender uh, as well. Yeah, because, he is when you've got somebody just dribbling for eight to nine seconds of possession and the defense is all looking at that person, you've got to have some ball movement. You've got to have some player movement. You've got to reverse from, you know, one side of the court, to the other, you've got to make the defense work a little bit. Uh, I'm no X's and O's guy, but I'm just saying just from my perspective, uh, that's kind of what I would like to see them do. Uh, you know, let's let's get Harden on some curl action. I, I think that that by him moving without the ball would make the defense pay attention. You know, you, you can put Capella, you can put uh, uh, Capella and uh, Chris Paul in some pick and rolls and have Harden be opposite. I, you know, I don't want to tell Mike D'Antoni how to do his job, but I just think there's some ways that you can kind of, uh, you know, take advantage of Harden without having the ball in his hands. No. And Eric Gordon's got a hit shot.
1: He's really kind of been off the entire playoffs. Uh, uh, a lot of what made them tick through the regular season is, was him being another sniper, uh, whether he's out there with Harden or whether he comes in kind of the six man or six man of the year, uh, three point champion. Uh, but he's just, his stroke has not been the same. Ryan Anderson, when he was out there, Hasn't shot the ball real well either. And, you know, I'm not an ex of an old guru either. But you got Nene out there and you got Luke Mbamute out there against the Warriors on a night when you're having trouble guarding them. So defensively, you're, you're kind of behind the eight ball. Maybe you want to try to outscore them. Uh, you know, I thought, man, hey, throw Joe Johnson out there and just see, because you already know you can't guard Durant. He's already on. He's already getting his. You putting the nay out there. They were just doing simple pick and roll, and you got the nay trying to guard Kevin Durant at the top of the key. Um, now that is never gonna work. This is kind of a series that, unless and look, you didn't see JaVale McGee at all for Golden State because it's just, I don't, it don't think it's a good matchup for him. Even with Capella out there, you didn't see McGee. To me, this isn't a Nene series, unless they try to go big and come with David West and, and McGee or something like that. But to have him at the top of the key on the island out there trying to guard KD as hot as he was, that's asking for trouble. I think Nene and Mbom Amute together on the floor was asking for trouble, kind of like you know Kentucky this past year. Well, you got to have some scoring. You want to play Vanderbilt for his rebounding, but then you're five on four on offense. So you're wondering uh, how we got to get the best combination for our book. You know, I'm kind of begging. Don't put Emba Mute and Nene out there under any circumstance, because I just think. <laughs> You're three on five kind of offensively, and then you, you know, simple pick and roll, and you got Nene trying to guard Steph or KD out of the top of the key, and they can get any shot they want anytime, time. And it's going to be that much easier with a guy like Nene on them. So that was a couple of little tactical things that didn't go Houston's way at all. Uh, so hopefully they can just clean all of that up because they got to win game two tonight.
2: Yeah, it it. it, it. I think it gets tossed out a lot, but, but must win. You can't go to Oakland down two games. I mean, that's that's a recipe for uh, disaster. And I don't think you can take, uh, I don't think you can look at what Cleveland did in 2016. There's a lot of things went into that <laughs> <laughs> for them to come back from 3 1. Yeah. Uh, you definitely, uh, and, and for all the dominance we talk about with. Uh, with what the Warriors are doing, I think the biggest thing, if you're you know, an opposing team, is the Warriors make you pay for your mistakes. When you talk about missing yes. those bunny shots that become fast, breaks mm-hmm. the other way, and when you look at the really great teams historically, no matter what style they played, it was really points off turnovers and... And live ball turnovers where, you know, you have a bad pass or whatnot and you're going the other way or, you know, you miss a layup. And we've all played basketball. You've got a teammate that's going wide open. He misses that layup. You, you slump your shoulders for a moment and the other team is going right back the other way. And that's what the <laughs> Warrior do, Warriors do better than any other team right now. They don't. But the thing is, they don't hang their heads on missed shots. You know they they know that even Steph is gonna miss, KD is gonna miss, but they they just keep doing what they do, and they don't stop doing what they do. And if you're going to beat them, you've got to play uh, mistake-free ball. You really do. You yeah. can't leave points on the on the table. You, you you must take advantage of of every opportunity, and that's how you can beat these Rockets. I mean that's 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 what you have to do.
0: I'm
1: hoping Paul comes out a little more aggressive because as good as they started off in the first quarter of Monday, you know, Paul wasn't really in it. He was, you know, barely even touching the ball. wasn't really involved. Um, so look, if you if you get on them, you you got you got to sustain it. And, and you knew you know, Golden State was going to make a run. You knew no lead was safe Monday night as amped up as the building was, as nice of a start as they got off to, uh, every time they went down in transition and either, you know, dribbled off their foot or bounced it off their leg, it was just a flay. And it was just hard kidney shots, hard body blows that you knew (laughs) were going to eventually wear you down and come back to haunt you uh, in the third and fourth quarter, especially when you kind of get stagnant in the half court. Or you know you're not clicking offensively like you want. Those easy buckets were our lifesavers. Yeah, and, you
2: know, and it's it's easier said than done. Absolutely. Uh, to, to to beat some of these really really great teams, I, I think, uh, and it, obviously not a lot of teams did that. But with Jordan's Bulls, it the way to do that was get to beat Jordan's Bulls is get off to a a great start. And keep the game close. If you can make Michael Jordan play a lot of meaningful minutes before you get to the fourth quarter, then you kind of had a shot, right? And in the same way with your Rockets teams in 94, 95, if you could make those Rockets teams score 110 points, if you could get the tempo up, you kind of made them change what they wanted to do. Easier said than done. Uh so you know you can say, "Hey, against the Warriors, we're going to do this," but can you do it? That's the that's the name of the game, and and D'Antoni and company are going to have to figure that out.
1: Absolutely.
2: Well, man, we had a blast. We had
1: all kinds of topics. Hit on all kinds of different things. Tons of fun. Uh, congratulations again to Tina and the new grandbaby. Um, Wish you a good rest of Wednesday evening. We hit all kinds of things. Sad news about uh, Mike Slides and his family and everybody in the SEC who was impacted and influenced by him. Um, We'll hop over here and watch Game 2. Watch the NBA on TNT. See what Kenny Charles and Shaq and Ernie are talking about in Houston. See what kind of... Tinkering the Rockets do in hopes to tighten it up and uh, get a better result in Game Two. Um, we'll talk about it all next week. Thirty Fifth and Kentucky show guys will be on at seven next Wednesday. weather well, it's be fun to talk about uh, all of this with them as well as you know the Louisville guys we talked about and, and whatever Catino may do between now and then. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. <laughs> um, real quick, to just Justify win? The Preakness supposed to be raining up there too. Like the all the Derby rain is heading to Baltimore, but Will Justify make it two for two in the i think so. Me too.
2: I I I I, I think that uh, Justify will do it. Now uh, got to check back before the uh, Belmont, but I think Justify gets it. Uh, moving, gets it on Saturday. I
1: don't see what I mean. Go from
2: 20 horses where he
1: got out quick and had no trouble, and even if it's rainy again, now he's only got to contend with, what, seven or eight horses? So, you know, <laughs> over 60% of the field, whatever, a third of the field is gone, 12 less horses to deal with. Uh, I think he'll be two for two when we come back next week as well. So got the last little nugget of horse racing in. And even though our, our guest last week, Jen, wasn't a fan of Justify, uh, it's still going to be fun to speak. So it was fun talking with her and fun getting our little horse racing minute in the, in the show. So good evening to you. Appreciate everything. It was a blast as always. Appreciate everybody listening. If you missed anything, catch the podcast on TuneIn, Castbox FM, Player FM, iTunes and Stitcher any of those apps search Cats Talk Wednesday you can catch any show anytime and we'll see y'all next week TV have a good Wednesday don't let them I'ma try not to thanks everybody for listening have a good one <laughs> we'll see y'all former man Terry TV brand <laughs> another episode of Cats Talk Wednesday we'll see y'all next week same, we time, same time, time same time we just
0: enjoy. It.